All right, my name is Matt Howell, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and thrilled to be with you on Back to School Bash Sunday, right? How many of you making plans to stay with us after the service today? Got some food trucks up on the front lawn, some inflatables, some games, prizes, really no reason not to stay, right? So if your neighbor wasn't planning on staying, just grab them by the ear as soon as the service is over and just drag them out there, okay? They won't regret it. 19th day of August 2018. Wow, we got there fast, I think, in some ways, it seems like. I mean, this year is way more than half over, and the summer's dwindling down. Lots of kids already back in school, a few more getting ready to start here in the next couple of weeks, and um, I believe it's time, right? It's time. Everybody's kind of reached that place in the summer where it's just kind of boredom is set in, right? It's like there's nothing else left to do but go to school, right? So that's what we're doing. Um... Again, hopefully you've made plans to join us at noon. These last few weeks, last five weeks, we've been in an interesting series entitled The Artisan's Soul. And it's been, uh, it's been interesting in a sense that it's been challenging uh, to me as a, as a pastor, as a sermon writer. Um, it's, been, it's been interesting. It's been interesting in the sense that we've got to see maybe some things that we don't normally see. However, we, uh, we hope that that will not be the case moving forward. We hope that we can get to see more of the arts in our services moving forward. And we look forward to some of the things that, that God's going to do over the next few months. Uh, going to be starting a series next week uh, on Romans. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later in the service. But uh, excited about that and what God has in store been spending a lot of time in this series called The Artisan Soul talking about beauty. Beauty is not something that we uh, normally talk about a lot in the church. You know, I don't really know why, because it's all throughout Scripture. Genesis to Revelation is this word beauty. But we just don't talk about it a lot, right? But we have the last few weeks, and it's been great. And uh, today, specifically, we are going to talk a little bit about the beauty of the church. Now, you may be wondering, like, what in the world does that mean, the beauty of the church? I mean, I've seen some beautiful churches before, right? You guys have seen some beautiful churches? I've got some pictures up here on the screen. I'll just kind of scroll through, and you can look at some of those beautiful churches, some of the architecture. I mean, it's just amazing, right, that, like, people were actually able to construct these things. I mean, it's really incredible when you think about it. In fact, uh, this past week, uh, I believe Sunday through Wednesday this past week, my family and I got to go to Cleveland. Um, notice I said got to go to Cleveland, not had to go to Cleveland, all right? We got to go to Cleveland, all right? All you Clevelanders, where are you, right? Cleveland rocks, right? Okay, all right. So we were there. I've never been downtown before, but we had the opportunity to go downtown and to eat in the public square. Uh, they had a food truck rally down there on Tuesday, so today will be my second time with food trucks in the last week. That's pretty crazy. Uh, we got to eat, and as we were eating, we looked up, and there's a church there called the Old Stone Church. It's a Presbyterian church um, celebrating 200 years of history. They don't have anything on us, right? Uh, but it was pretty crazy to listen to the stories. We got to go actually inside the church. Uh, there was a gentleman there uh, who was uh, happy to take us in and kind of show us around and tell us a little bit of the history of the church. Just a beautiful building, right? But that's not what we're talking about. Now, we're not talking about the beauty of, of the church building. We're talking about the beauty of the church. You guys remember that thing when you were kids, like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, here are the people, right? Remember that, right? I don't even remember how to do it. But, but anyway, the bottom line is the people are the church, right? So you're the church, which means you're beautiful. So go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, you're beautiful. Go ahead and do that. All right, that was kind of sad. So now look at your second choice and tell them the same thing. You're beautiful, right? There you go. That's a little bit better. That's a little bit better. We are beautiful, right? We are God's church. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter, 
we read where Jesus takes his disciples aside and he asks them a question. He says very simply to them, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, Jesus, you know, uh, some say you're John the Baptist. And then others, you know, they say maybe Elijah or maybe uh, Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets, right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 you're missing the point. Who do you say that I am? Right? He kind of gets down with them. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, he steps up just like Peter often does. I'd like to think if I had been alive back then, I would have been a Peter. Probably not, right? Probably more of like a Zacchaeus or something. But, but anyway, you know, Peter steps up to the plate, right? And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? And Jesus, man, he's like, yes. He's like Simon, because he wasn't Peter yet, right? But he's like, Simon, you're right, and because you're right, I'm going to give you a new name, and that name's going to be Peter, and Peter means rock, right? And Peter, it's going to be on your shoulders that I am going to build my church. And the rest is kind of ancient history, right? How would you respond? Simon correctly identifies Jesus. Jesus, in turn, gives Simon a new identity, and the church begins to grow. And the same is true today, right? Be buildings can be beautiful to look at. But when we speak of the beauty of the church, we're not talking about buildings. We're talking about the beauty of believers, loving, serving, and worshiping together under the one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. So I want us to listen together uh, in Scripture to John chapter 17, uh, verses 20 through 26, because this is a, a story, uh, it's basically a prayer, right, that Jesus is praying, and, and my Bible, at least, in the heading says, Jesus prays for all believers, all right, so just listen to this. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, them being his disciples, right? I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be what? One. Let's say it again. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's a powerful prayer. Maybe it needs a little explaining. So I want to kind of help us understand what Jesus is getting at here. Powerful words, but let's look a little more closely. Because there are four things that Jesus is saying here that I really want us to, to hone in on. And the first is this. Jesus is praying over the church that there would be unity. Unity. It's kind of a word that we've misconstrued a little bit. 
uh, in our current day and time. But what is, what is unity? Well, in this case, what Jesus is referring to is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, believer, and believers all together in perfect harmony. Unity, right? Just as Jesus has unity with the Father and with the Spirit, so also he wants us, believers, to have unity with him and with one another. Jesus' great desire for his disciples is that they would become one. Jesus' great desire for us is that we would become one. Those of you who have served in the military or served as a part of a, or been a part of a team or worked as a part of a team or anything else, you know that if the whole team is not working together as one, then the task cannot be accomplished, Right? And it's the same with the church. We can't accomplish our task, our God-given responsibility, if we're not operating as one. Jesus wants the church unified as a powerful witness to the reality of God's love. This is the purpose of the church. The church is a community of creators and co-creators working together in unity to paint a picture of God's kingdom for the entire world to see. That's what the church is to be. It's what it's intended to be. God brings together our independent gifts, our independent talents, our independent abilities, our, our passions. He brings it all together to create a work that is infinitely greater than the sum of its parts. You can do great things for God, but imagine what you and the people sitting next to you and the people sitting over on this side of the room and the church down the street and the church down the other street, and imagine if we all work together, right? What can God accomplish? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's kind of talking about this. He says, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body or the whole be, right? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, what? Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, what? Every part rejoices with it. Wow. I mean, I want to be a part of that, right? Like, I'm sitting here reading, and I'm thinking, man, if that was reality, if that's truly what the church was, if that's truly what the church would become, then I'm going to want to be a church, right? I'm not going to want to be somewhere else on Sunday. I'm not going to want to be somewhere else during the week. I'm going to want to be here whenever I can be here, whenever the doors are open, whenever the church comes together, whenever unified believers come together, whether it's here, whether it's out there, wherever it is, serving, worshiping, praying, studying God's word, living out the faith, I want to be a part of it, right? Because, man, I know those people, they suffered with me when I suffer. Those people, man, they rejoice with me when there's rejoicing to be done. Are you helping to unify the body of Christ? Think about it. Are you helping to unify the church? When was the last time that you actually stopped what you were doing and prayed for someone else in this congregation? I mean, truly prayed. Not your mom, not your wife, not your kids. But like someone else in this congregation, like you heard of a need and you didn't just say, oh, that's terrible. I'll be praying for that. Not really, but 
I'll be praying for that, right? But when's the last time you actually took time to pray for someone else? What are we doing to build the congregation up? How are we doing at building others up? How are we doing at edifying one another, right? And encouraging one another, spurring one another on. How are we doing at avoiding gossip, which tears down the unity of the church? How are we doing in giving our time and our talent and our treasure and our tongue to the church? Listen, guys, division is destructive. Many of you have seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand. The church ought to be the one place where people know beyond no shadow of a doubt that they can find authentic community. The church ought to be the one place where people know that they will not be turned away. The church ought to be the first place where people come when they're in need of healing, when they're in need of hope, when they're in need of a helping hand. They ought to think first of the church. If Anderson Hills is fifth or fourth or third or even second on a whole list of places where a person would go in this community, if they truly wanted to know who Jesus was, then we've got work to do. Not because we're in some kind of holy competition with Crossroads or Parkside or Saint this or Saint that, but because we want to be a beacon of light that spreads its light into a dark world, right? We want to be Jesus. Yeah, you know? Like, next Sunday, we begin an eight-week series on Paul's letter to the Romans. And listen, Paul starts out his letter in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Ladies and gentlemen, there should be no stopping the church. It should be an unstoppable force in this world. It should be an unstoppable force for change, for good in an increasingly broken and fallen world. Think about it. It, what, What would happen if God's people were to respond to the ugly, divisive violence and hatred of the world? What if we were to respond with the the beauty of unity and peace and love? That's That's what the beauty of the church is. We were made to know oneness. God created us to be in relationship, in fellowship with one another. From the beginning, God has invited us to be a part of the Trinitarian community. All you need to do is open up your Bible and go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, to the first three chapters, and you will see a story of where God and mankind and creation are all together in perfect unity. And then you can flip all the way to the end, to the book of Revelation, And you can read about a a new heaven and a new earth that God will one day restore order. In the end, we see this vision of of white-robed multitudes inhabiting this new earth and singing praises to their creator. Taken as a whole, God's mission is to bring into being a community of reconciled people, people who are living within a renewed creation, people who are enjoying the presence of of their Redeemer. Jesus prays for unity. Jesus prays 
not only for the believers, but Jesus also prays for those who will come to believe as a result of the message that is given and shared by the believers, right? So think about that for a second. Jesus is not only praying for his disciples, but he's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us collectively, the church. Think about it. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, praying a prayer over you. There was an expectation that the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins would spread through the believers. Luke records these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 24. He says, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will then be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I mean, Jesus set it down as a president. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to fulfill, right, the will of the Father, and then you're going to go tell everybody about it. Unfortunately, though, we live in a time where evangelism, <clears throat> dirty word, right, telling others about Jesus is, is almost dead. It's almost extinct, right? At the very least, it's on life support. Why? Why wouldn't we want to tell people about a risen Christ who offers forgiveness of sin and life after death? Is it because we're too busy? Oh, sorry, I don't have time to keep you out of hell. I've got other things I've got to get to. Now, that might seem harsh, but that's the gospel. That's not Matt Howell's word. That's God's word, right? God said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me, right? That if anyone wants to get to God the Father, right, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to God except through me, right? That's what Jesus says. Those are Jesus' words. So are we too busy to tell people about Jesus? Or maybe we're scared. Maybe we're fearful. Listen, Erwin McManus, two weeks ago at the Willow Creek Leadership Conference, how many of you are here? Give me a woo woo. All right. Thank you. Uh, so we're here, right? And he's up here talking, and Erwin has just gone through like a tumultuous like battle with cancer, right? And he's up here talking about how God just gave him the ability to jump off uh, the surgical table and just get back to life. And the people kept coming to him and saying, Erwin, what's the secret to your success? How are you doing this? Like, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to be so tough and so strong through this? You should be broken, and you should be like, you know, weeping, and you should be so worried and concerned and heavy laden and all these things. And Erwin, I loved what he said. He said, for as long as death is something that is ahead of us, we will live our lives out of fear. But the second that we as believers understand that death is behind us, that death no longer has a hold of us, then we can begin to live out the life that Christ has called us to live. Isn't that beautiful? And it's like we're talking about being scared to share Jesus with people. That we're worried about offending people, right? Well, Paul himself said nothing's more offensive than the cross. So yeah, it's going to offend. But again, what's the alternative of remaining silent? Think about it, guys. The beauty of the church is the hope that we have. I guarantee you that if any one of us here discovered the cure to cancer, we would spend all night, all day, for the next 60 weeks on the phone with every doctor, every nurse, every surgeon, and every scientist around our world explaining to them what we had found. Well, guess what? We have found the cure to sin and to death, and yet sometimes we remain silent. It's time to speak up. 
It's time to speak out. And listen, I am preaching this message to myself, okay? I encounter people every day of my life that I know in the recesses of my mind probably need to hear a message of hope, and yet sometimes I'm so blinded and so busy that I fail to share. And I'm convicted by that. We've got to be telling people about Christ. Jesus prays that these people would also have the knowledge, that they would just simply have the knowledge of his existence. Think about what that does for you. Think about the fact that you know that God exists and what that does for you on a day-to-day basis. Just knowing that he is there, just knowing that he is real, how does that change? It changes everything. At least it should. And if nothing else, Jesus wanted people to know two things, his presence and his love. I mean, this is the message that we are to share with the rest of the world, that God created you, that God loves you, and that God desires to be in a life-altering relationship with you. In Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And then he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Man, this message brings me such conviction. We no longer live in a day and time where everyone just knows about Jesus. We don't. You guys know that. You know, you used to just take that for granted 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? That, oh, at some point in their life, they've probably had a grandma or a parent or, or some loving adult share with them a message of Christ. And if they choose to reject it, then so be it, right? Now we got generations of people who are just ignorant to the gospel. Like they know nothing of it. And it's up to us to get busy telling them. Jesus prays that they would have a knowledge of his existence, but Jesus also prays that people would have a knowledge of his love. Listen to this passage. It's Colossians chapter 3, and it's kind of long, so hang in there with me. But he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us, holy and dearly loved, (sighs) that's us, all right? (laughs) Not always really holy, but holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Now I know he's talking about somebody different, right? (laughs) Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive them. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, Put on love, right? Which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then he says two things. He says, first of all, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then skip ahead to verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Man, what if we just did that, church? What if we let the peace of Christ and the message of Christ that is in here, what if we let it come out? You see, above all else, people need to know how much God loves them. And how are they going to know that God loves them if they don't know that we love them, right? That's our responsibility. We are the church, the body of Christ. We have to love people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and the message of Christ dwell among us. The world is in need of freedom. The world is in need of redemption. The world is in need of hope, renewal, restoration, forgiveness, peace, joy, and love. And everything that our world needs, the church has but only when Jesus is the head 
of the church. You see, when we put ourselves at the head of the church, what I want, what I think, what I need, me, 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 right? It gets all messed up. But the second we put Christ where he belongs and Christ becomes the head of the church and we become his body, all playing our different roles and our different responsibilities and and playing out our different God-given abilities and passions and, and talents and gifts and all these things, then all of a sudden the world understands that where they need to go when they need freedom and hope and redemption and restoration is the church of Jesus Christ. So I'd like to close out our time this morning with with something a little different, something that might push some of you a little bit out of your comfort zone, and that's called silent prayer. Because I think we need to be praying. We've talked about it a lot as staff, and we've wrestled with it. How does this look? What does this look like? How can we become more of a praying church? Right? There are some people who are really passionate about it and just believe that the way God is going to start a movement here is through us crying out to him, which, hello, is biblical, Right? <laughs> But not everybody's on board yet, so we're just going to practice it collectively together. We're going to practice some silent prayer, and here's the deal. I want you to block out everything you carried in with you this morning, everything that's awaiting you outside those doors, and I want you to focus on just a couple of things. First is this. I want you to pray that God would would help you to know that he's there. That's a big first one. Just pray, God, help me to, to, to know your presence, to know your existence, to know that you are there, that you care. And then second, God, help me to know that you love me, that you love me. Because listen, you can't share his message of hope and love until you believe his message of hope and love, until you've received his message of hope and love, right? And then the second thing I want us to pray is I just want to pray for boldness. I want to pray for boldness on behalf of every single person here this morning, that God would help you in your own way. And look, everybody looks different. Everybody's going to do this differently. Everybody's going to carry this out differently. But the reality is we all have a responsibility to share his message of freedom and redemption and hope and renewal and restoration and forgiveness and peace and joy and love. We all have a responsibility to share it, whatever that looks like. So everybody bow your heads. Everybody close your eyes. I'm going to lead us kind of through this. First and foremost, God, we just, we want to cry out right now. And we want to ask that you would make your presence known among us. God, that we would feel so heavy, God, just from your laying down your spirit on us. God, that we would know beyond no shadow of a doubt that you are there and that we, when we call upon your name, God, you answer the call. God, some people come in here today doubting your existence. Some people come in here today doubting that you really care about them and about the intimate details of your life. And that's okay, God. That's where they are. But God, somehow, supernaturally, right now in this moment, just make yourself known to them. Help them to understand that there's such a bigger picture than what they're seeing. That you do care for them. And God, let them know about your love. Let them know about your love, God, that you love them and that your love is unconditional, that your love is unlike anything they've ever felt, anything they've ever been experienced or received or, or been on the receiving end of, God, that, or, or even anything they've ever given, God. Your love is incredible. So, Lord, as we take a moment of silence, just may that be our prayer for your presence and for your love.
God, we also want to pray for boldness this morning. God, too many of us carry the gospel of Jesus Christ in our back pocket. It's underneath our hat. God, it's somewhere tucked away where, God, we don't show it very often. We, we do life with people who are hurting and who are hopeless, and yet, God, we often just give a, a word of encouragement or a kind, I'm sorry to hear about that, or I'm so sorry for your situation, and yet we don't follow that up with, let me introduce you to my friend Jesus, who can take away your pain, who can resurrect your life, who can heal your wounds. And so, God, I just pray today that we would feel such a deep conviction for everyone we encounter. God, that the first thing we talk about wouldn't be the weather or the game last night or how the family's doing. God, that the first thing we would do with people is say, how is it with your soul? God, give us boldness to preach a message of hope and of restoration and of reconciliation and of peace and of joy and of love to the people who need it. God, we pray for boldness now in the silence. God, thank you. Begin a work in us today like none other. Begin a work with us as individuals that, that takes itself out of these chairs and collectively into this community. God, may you start something right now on this Back to School Bash Sunday, God, August 19, 2018. May you begin a work in us and through us. And God, may we see the fruits of our labors. It's in the powerful, precious name of Jesus I pray and all God's people say, Amen.